0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, hello again. Hey, turn with me to John chapter 21, if you will. Oh, let me get that out of the way. I'm walking around my iced tea. That is what that is in there. It's iced tea. Don't think that's a special. John chapter 21. I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. Happy Father's Day to my dad. Uh, he's... A, Greatest man I've ever met. my dad, I appreciate him. John chapter 21. We're talking about, I'm gonna get a little feedback if I could go down a little bit. Our theme this year, once again, is Each One Reach One, we're talking about evangelism and discipleship and our responsibility for reaching uh, the world and our community for Jesus Christ. I know we talk a lot about um, the world. We talk a lot about uh, you know, the world is this great thing that we need to reach. We think globally, as the saying goes, think globally. But we need to make sure we act locally. And that's what this is all about, that we share our faith in a way that resounds and has an impact throughout our community. And this series is all about how we do that, how we share our faith in practical ways and live our faith in practical ways. Sorry, my, my two youngest sons are walking down the hall smiling and waving at me. Uh, and uh, how we do that, and how we show others the love of Jesus with, uh, with our life, with our actions, with our words, because that's what truly matters. And we're talking about this, this portion of that series throughout the year is WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? Not What Would Jesus Do? It's nice to know what people would do, but the book of James tells us that if you see somebody that's hungry or somebody that's in need and you simply say to them, depart, be warmed and filled, but you never actually meet their need, then you've really done nothing and your religion or your faith is empty. So what we're, looking, what we're doing now is looking at the things that Jesus did do. How did Jesus manage his life? How did Jesus manage his ministry? How did he literally reach out to people and literally make a difference? Now I know people say, hey, you know he was well. He was God on foot, man. He was Jesus. Of course, he's doing all these things. He can do that. You know, stop making excuses. <laughs> Let me just say that. Um, and if you're new here, you'll understand that I speak pretty bluntly and pretty straightforwardly. Um, stop making excuses for not being able to live your faith practically. Stop making excuses for not being able to, uh, not 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 being able to, but not living your faith in a way that affects other people. That's how we got to where we are today as uh, we found out last week that Springfield Holyoke, the metropolitan area, is the number one uh, post-Christian metro area in the country. Uh, I want to share a couple things in review, and then we'll get into the message. Some things that we've covered so far as we've gone through, we've talked about what evangelism is, sharing our faith, and evangelism is the heartbeat of God. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Everybody needs to at least have the opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. Everybody deserves that opportunity. Um, why? Because we're creations of His. And He sent, and God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Everybody has the right. I can't force anybody to accept Christ as their Savior. I can't force anybody to uh, turn their life over to Him or to follow Him at all. But uh, everybody at least has the right to hear about that. Second thing we, we're talking about is discipleship. and di- Discipleship is growing in our faith and building up others in our faith. And discipleship is the lifeblood of the church. Discipleship is how we continue on what we have now. The children's ministry that we've got going on, uh, the youth ministry, those kind of things. That is perpetuating the next generation of Christians. The men's ministry that we're going to be starting this summer uh, that is perpetuating uh, godly fathers who will raise their children uh, and and lead their homes and work with their wives and partner with their wives in and uh, or if they're single, just live well and treat and learn how to how to take your faith outside of the church and live out in the community and at work uh, a life that matters for Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as I said. Uh, Springfield, Holyoke is the number one post-Christian uh, metro area of the country. And that should motivate us, I believe, to dig deeper into our faith and try to make an impact. One thing it also should teach us is that uh, we need to reevaluate how we are going about to reach our community. What are we doing to reach our community? Because let's just <laughs> let's be very honest, OK? Uh, The people out there that don't come to church, whether it's our church or anybody else's church, don't really feel the love of Jesus through the churches in this area. Right? How many of you have family or friends that say that? Well, you you don't have to. Yeah, man, absolutely. They don't feel the love. They don't feel welcome. They don't feel wanted. They don't feel like they belong. Shame on us. Shame on us as the representatives of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We are the representatives of his love. He has left us. The Bible says Jesus came into the world to be the light of the world. But when he left, he said, I am making you the light of the world now. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You are the salt of the earth. You're the one that brings flavor. You're the one that brings, uh, brings enthusiasm and energy. You're the ones that will carry my message to those who don't know, to those who don't hear. Somehow, some way, especially in our area, that purpose has been lost. And people don't feel like they're welcome to come in here. I've said it before, and I think Jonathan put it on our, our Facebook page this week. New Life is, has the reputation in the area of being the church that will take anybody. Right? I like that reputation, I really do. We, I, I tell people um, when I go to the gym, uh, guys talk to me and they're like, uh, you know, you know, people don't really, you know, look at me. Um, I, I got tattoos and this and that. And the other. And I said, well, I've got four myself. We have a two-tattoo minimum here at New Life. Uh, that's right, two-tattoo minimum. Got to, you know, uh, but I say that just to kind of let people know you're welcome here, man. It doesn't matter who you are. That's the attitude we have to have. And when we approach the idea of evangelism, when we approach the idea of discipleship, it has to have in mind that we need to really want to reach people and develop our lives and develop our, ourselves and develop our faith in such a way that we actually are attractive to others with our faith. Ravi Zacharias made this observation. He says, I have little doubt that the simple greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers, but the failure on our parts to live it out. Absolutely, man, absolutely. We're answering the question, What did Jesus do when it came to living out the faith that he was bringing to the world so that we'll be able to learn from his example of blending faith and life? Not keeping faith and life separate, but blending faith and life. I believe. That's what it's all about. Life is ministry and ministry is life. That's what it's all about. We've got to be able to find the balance in life that helps us be effective and allows our faith to sustain us and to reach out and help others. It's the goal of this sermon series to motivate us as individuals and as a church to become more passionate and urgent about personal discipleship and evangelism. First thing we've looked at, I told you we're breaking this down into different areas of Jesus' life. And the first thing we saw was that Jesus managed his personal life. And we use the quote from John Piper, John is, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We think that in this world we have to have one or the other. We have to have either success in the world and, and, uh, and prosperity and things like that or God. But that's just not true and this isn't prosperity gospel i'm not going to tell you that if you have a positive mindset that god is going to make you wealthy that's just silly and it's a lie but i'll tell you this what you will find in a relationship with jesus christ is contentment and peace and that's worth more money than you could ever have in the world that's worth more than a house at the beach that's worth more than a new car So we saw that, and the first thing we looked at was the fact that Jesus followed the Father's plan obediently. Saw that obedience must be our priority. Obedience to God must be an intentional action in our lives. And the last thing we looked at uh, was that obedience to God demands change in our lives. We looked at the example of the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus when Jesus said, listen, man, if you want to follow me, if you really want to know what it means to follow me, You've got to put everything else behind you, everything else second in your life, and I have to be number one in your life. And the rich young ruler walked away. We saw that change is a choice. Change is a choice. And that brings us to the last point I want to make about obedience, and then we're going to next move to the next step. Obedience to God demands consistency in our faith. Obedience to God demands consistency in our faith. If you're going to have an impact on others, if you are going to be effective as a Christian, if you are simply going to be effective in your, for yourself and gain the benefits of a walk with Jesus Christ and understand what it means to truly have that peace that the Bible says passes all understanding, to be able to face tragedy, to be, to be able to face triumph, to be able to face all these things and be even and level and, and know that there's a purpose and be able to see the big picture, then you must be a person that is consistent in your faith. Consistency is difficult, no doubt about it. Gabriel and Michael are playing baseball right now, and uh, it's a a great time. I love watching these kids. My dad has gone to just about every game. My father says uh, he'd rather go see Gabriel and Michael play than go to Fenway Park. And (laughs) as a Dodgers fan, I understand not wanting to go see the Red Sox. (laughs) It's <laughs> just kidding. Because they beat us in the World Series. So how can you say that, right? I just am bitter. I'm bitter. But anyway, uh, watching Gabriel and Michael grow and develop, and it's the same with any of your kids that are playing sports. Um, the, the most important thing for them is to develop consistency. Right? Consistency. Being able to do the same thing over and over and over again. Gabriel pitches, and he's got a, Gabriel's got a real strong arm. And For half of the season, he was a strikeout machine. But all of a sudden, Gabriel got in his head that he can't throw the ball across the plate. And he was like, wild, wild. We're working now to get that back because, and the problem is, he's changed his throwing motion. He's throwing a different way. He's coming more sidearm, and he's snapping the ball at the end, and it's causing the ball to go everywhere. I, we, I work with him. I said, Gabriel, you just have to be consistent. You have to do the same thing. Michael, same thing. Michael Michael pitched an inning this year. He struck out all three batters on 10 pitches. Mm-hmm. Missed an immaculate inning by one pitch. Wow. And now Michael can't find the plate with a map. <laughs> because, and I'm not, I'm not picking on my boy. I love my boys. I love watching them play. But Michael has started this. He throws the ball, and he turns his head to the left. So what does that do? That takes the ball off to the left. What they have to find is that consistency of motion. Once you find the consistency of motion, man, you're going to be a world beater in whatever you do. It's the same thing with our faith. You wonder why you struggle. You wonder why tomorrow uh, you're, you're not looking forward to it. You wonder why you, you have such difficulty at work. You wonder why you have such difficulty in family, in your marriage, in your relationships. Check the consistency factor of your faith. Are you consistently doing what the Bible says to do to secure your faith, to build your faith, to grow your faith, to strengthen your faith? Is it a priority in your life, like we talked about last week? Is reading the Bible a priority? Is going to God in prayer and talking to him uh, about what's going on? You know, sometimes, not going to God about a need, but just going to God about what is going on in your life and having a conversation with him about the struggles you're facing... Bring so much. I know it does for me. It brings so much peace to me because God is someone who will always listen. Spending time being faithful uh, in your Bible reading, your Bible study, and being faithful to church, being faithful to the things that will help you to grow. Consistency in your faith is demanded by obedience to God. Jesus said this in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Inconsistent faith practices lead to inconsistent faith. Inconsistent faith practices lead to an inconsistent faith. My coaches told me growing up, we'd go, when I played freshman basketball here at East Long Meadow, and we'd, we'd be fooling around, because we're freshmen in high school, and that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to fool around. Um, and we'd be, we'd be doing trick shots when we tried try to see who could make it from behind a backboard. Our coach came out at practice. And he said, knock it off, guys. Knock it off. He says, the way you practice is the way you're going to play. The way you practice is the way you're going to play. So you need to practice how you want to play in the game. Inconsistent faith, inconsistent faith practices lead to inconsistent faith. The way you practice, the way you prepare your faith is the way you're going to live your faith. Does that make sense? The way you prepare, the way you invest in your own faith, in your own walk with Jesus, is the way you're going to represent that faith out in the world. The way you're going to reach out to people in the world. If you can't be consistent and faithful in your personal discipleship, in your personal growth, then you're not going to have the impact on others that you want to have and that you need to have. Consistency in your faith means... You do your absolute best to follow God's teaching in the Bible. Proverbs 4, verses 25 through 27. Say, let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Listen, folks, let's be honest. If we say we believe what the Bible has to say, if we say we believe what the Bible tells us is true, if we say that we believe that the Bible has the answers to the challenges of life, to the struggles of life, to the difficulties of relationships. Then we truly need to put the Bible into practice in our lives. The first thing we need to do is read it. We actually need to read the Word of God. One of the statistics I shared last week for those of you who weren't here, we had a long Barna survey of, uh, of what it meant to be post-Christian and where different state, where different uh, metro areas fell on that scale. In, in the Springfield-Hartford metro area, 66% of our, our population falls in the category of, poor, of post-Christian. And one of those criteria is, has read the Bible in the last week? And I showed that 87%, 87% of the respondents to that survey said no. That includes a whole lot of Christians. Okay, 66% are post-Christian. That means 34% of of the population are followers of Christ, consistent followers of Christ in their life. But 13% have read their Bible. That means, if I'm doing my math correctly, that's like two-thirds of all those who say they follow Christ haven't read their Bible in the last week. How? How do you expect to grow? How do you expect to learn about the way to live out your faith. How do you expect to have an impact on others? How do you expect to be prepared to deal with the situations you face and the situations that you are, you are put in place to help others with if you don't know what the Bible says on how to handle situations like that in your life? Well, it's not that big of a deal to me, Pastor John. That, it's obvious. And that's the problem. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not read uh, an effective follower, and not read his word consistently. Obedience to God demands consistency in our faith. That brings us to the second thing that Jesus did. The first thing was that he was obedient to the Father's plan. Second thing is this. Jesus proved his ministry with credibility and integrity. Jesus proved his ministry with credibility and integrity. You know, <laughs> I'll dance around this a little bit. We hear a lot about integrity today, but we don't see a lot of it lived, right? When, when those in leader in national leadership are on TV, and I cannot be comfortable. Allowing my boy, and this is is across all parties, okay? When I cannot be comfortable allowing my sons to listen to them because I know they're lying through their teeth. When my boys come home and ask me questions about things they heard at school about what's going on, and I have to explain to them that um, it's not true, in other words, if, I can't, if, I, if, there's somebody, if there's not somebody leading in the leadership of our nation in any of the three houses, uh, branches of government that I can set up as an example for my boys, then I think there's something wrong. Then I struggle with the integrity and the credibility of those who have set themselves up as leaders and that we as a country have set ourselves up. When, when we say, how sad is it and I don't mean to make this political because I'm like, I I try to be apolitical up here, but I'm using this as an example. When we say, how many of you said this? When we say we we have to hold our nose when we go into the voting booth, there's a problem. There's a problem with the the integrity and the credibility of our leaders, but that filters down to life as well. Are you a person that, that lives your faith with, incredi- with, with integrity and credibility? Do you prove to others by the way you live your life, the way you do your job, by the way you treat your family with integrity and credibility? Martin Luther made this great analogy. He said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Let's make a little humorous connection here. You can slap an ichthus on the back of your car. That's the Christian fish. And that means nothing. How many times have you driven, have you been passed or cut off by somebody with an ichthus <laughs> on their car, right? Right? The best one is those churches that have the follow me to such and such church bumper sticker. I ain't following you no more. I can't keep up with you. Right? You just cut me off. And it's worse for us. I, I say us collectively, I'm speaking of myself though. When, when somebody cuts us off and I say something that's not kind back, <laughs> and I've got an Icthus on my car, right? So we get two Christians getting into a fight on the street, exhibiting great road rage, right? And that that's like my biggest struggle outwardly is, ro- is driving. I'm not, I don't like, not lately, I haven't gotten out of my truck to. Well, I can say this. I've never gotten out of my truck to confront somebody. My van, different story. (laughs) (laughs) My my truck, my truck, yeah. Yeah, the guy cut us off one time. And he intentionally, intentionally drove us off the road. And his car was pointed right at Aaron. And I got out of the car to let him know I wasn't real pleased with that. And uh, (laughs) no, I didn't say anything nice. It was not. It was not. It's not my proudest moment, but I'm just telling you to be transparent, right? Um, yeah, because I look like I just got out of prison anyway. Uh, but listen, we all have those moments in our lives where we struggle with our integrity, our credibility, and where those are the most important things we have. As a pastor, I tell people, people ask me, why don't you do these certain things, Pastor John? Why won't you, uh, why won't you go here? Why won't you uh, get involved in this? Why won't you meet with a woman alone? Why won't you uh, give a Because the only thing I have to present to people as a pastor is my integrity and my credibility. That's all I have. That may be okay for you to do, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but all I have to present to people is my integrity and my credibility. If I lose that, I might as well walk away because I will not be effective in ministry. Integrity and credibility is vital. And it goes beyond the trappings of Christianity. It goes beyond having the symbols of Christianity. It actually goes to doing things as a Christian would do. As Martin Luther said, the, the shoemaker makes good shoes. You make good shoes. How do, you, how, how do you show your faith at work? How do you show your Christianity at work? By doing your job. By giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. If you're a student, how do you show yourself to be a good Christian and, and be a, a good follower of Jesus? You're the best student you can be. Not the best student in the class. The best you can be. Gabriel and Michael have made amazing progress. Amazing progress in school. They're not the number one students in their class, but they've made, I dare say, in the last three years, they've made more progress than any other kid in their class. They started from so far behind, and they are up to grade level now. It's amazing, amazing. You do the best with what God has given you, and you do it with integrity and with credibility. Why is it so important? Not many people will believe someone who is unbelievable or follow someone who is unfollowable. Not many people will listen to someone who doesn't back up their message with proof of a changed life. Think about it. We tell people Jesus can make you new. Jesus can help you through. Jesus. The, the word of God, the teachings of the Bible, can give you hope, can give you strength, can give you courage, can help you in the dark times, can help you in the, in the bright times. They'll teach you how to rejoice. They'll give you reasons to live and purpose for living. But then we don't go out and do it. Where's the credibility in our claim? Where's the integrity in our claim? Where does it matter? We haven't shown anybody anything of value or truth. Brennan Manning, this comes from a, uh, on a DC, one of DC Talk's early uh, CDs. They had a song in the uh, song, What If I Stumble. And at the beginning of that song, Uh, they had a recording of Brennan Manning, who was a uh, uh, Christian man, Christian author. And he said this, the greatest single cause of of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Listen, (laughs) the moment you utter... God hates fill-in-the-blank is the moment you have walked away from your faith and shown people absolutely nothing of the love of Jesus Christ. As, as Christians, as the church, we find people to pick on. Right? Truly, we do. We find people to pick on. When I was growing up, it was divorced families, divorced people. Many of the churches of my, of my early, early days, divorced people weren't allowed to join the church. You could be there, you could sing and you could obviously you could put your money in the offering plate. But yeah, divorced people could not be members. And we continue that by saying things about other people and taking stands against other people. And we cover it up by saying, well, we don't agree with this, we don't agree with that, but what you're saying, when you say we love the sinner, but we hate the sin, you've got to ask yourself this question. Does the sinner feel loved? Seriously, does that person that you're you're taking a stand against, does that person that you're you're representing with your rhetoric and your hatefulness, do they feel the love of Jesus? Because let me tell you, folks, if they're not feeling the love from you, then you're a person of no credibility in your faith whatsoever. None. I can remember... Uh, in the Baptist church when Catholics were the object of our ire, right? I've met some people who used to be Catholic and now come and, and because of the, the and a lot of that stems from the um, from the Irish and the English clash from in Ireland and England and it was like, oh, you know where's the love, man? Where's the feeling of love? A lot of the songs we sing are songs that were penned by a guy named Matt Marr. How many of you have heard of Matt Marr? You listen to his songs on the radio? Matt Marr is a, a Catholic. I've listened to him in concert. and listened to his testimony. He's a really, not, really good guy. See, when you verbalize and take a stand on things that you think are OK, but you really haven't studied out the word and you don't really have a good biblical basis to take that stand, you're showing no no integrity and no credibility whatever in your faith. As a church, if we bar people from coming in, and even if we don't say it, if we don't make people feel welcome in our church, we have no credibility with the message of Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. Why, how, how has this area gotten to that point where we are the, the number one post-Christian metro area? Think of that. In the country. In the country. Of all the hundreds of metropolitan areas in this country, we're number one for being post-Christian. How have we gotten to that point? People don't think they're welcome here. In this building. In buildings like this. People don't think we want them here. People think we stand against them. And ask yourself, is that what Jesus would do? Is that how Jesus would treat somebody? Is that how Jesus feels towards the people of this world? I don't think so. Because the Bible that I read said that Jesus loved this world so much and loved the people of this world so much that he left heaven and came down and lived among us for 33 years and allowed them to take him and beat him and crucify him. All so that he could die for our sins and pay the price. All because of the love he had for you and for me and for them. That don't feel welcome in our church. You see, when we don't make people feel as if they matter enough for us to go, let's, let's be honest, when we make people feel that they don't matter enough for us to go beyond our preconceived notions or our um, our uh, I'll go ahead and use the P word, our prejudices Then we're not being credible in our faith. Not at all. I I've told you I'm very open and very honest in our in 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 not just here, but in my life. And I I talk uh, and I talk about issues that other people want to dance around. And one of those is the issue of race. And East Long Meadow, if you're white. You may not know this and you may not feel it, you may not see it, but if you're not white, if you have pigmentation in your skin that doesn't come from a tanning bed, (laughs) you know. Am I am I right? Those of you who are thumbs up all over the place, of those who are people of color, know that East Long Meadow is not always welcome, not always, is usually not welcoming to people of color, right? We, have, we actively take the opportunity. One of the things I'm proudest, proud, most proud about our church is this. We are literally and actively tearing down the stronghold of race in our church. So much so that Ricans and African Americans, I can say that because I'm one. Yes. Someday we'll be free. Uh, feel welcome here. They feel welcome here. They feel like they matter. They feel like they have a place here. They feel like they have a purpose here. They feel like we're not just allowing them to be here, that we really want them to be here. We want them to be a part of this ministry. Man, we could start making everybody feel that way in our church. Then we're living out the word of God with credibility and integrity. How do you build integrity? How do you build credibility and integrity in your life? First thing I see is this. You must care about your ethics. If you're going to build integrity and credibility in your life, you must care about your ethics. You've got to care about your ethics. Potter Stewart said this. Ethics is knowing the difference between what you have the right to do and what is right to do. Knowing the difference between what you have the right to do and what is right to do. Judy Shenlin said, you don't teach morals and, eth- and ethics and empathy and kindness in the schools. You teach them at home and children learn by example. So you wonder why the next generation, you wonder why kids are the way they are. And I know you know, every, every time, I, I'm at that age now, at, at the age of 56, I'm at that age who looks back and say, oh my gosh, if these people are going to run our country, what's going to happen? Right? Oy. <laughs> the same way that every generation that gets to my age says those kind of things. But thank you. But the problem with Generations not having integrity and credibility and, and getting, getting to those, po- those places where we wonder whether or not we, we, we are concerned about the future of things. <sighs> Let's be honest. It's because they're not learning those things at home. They're not learning it at home. And it's important that we as Christians... If, if, we are, if we're going to perpetuate our faith and have a next generation of faith rise up and lead, it's going to have to happen at home first. Not just in the church. In my video invitation yesterday, um, I, addressed, I addressed this because Father's Day is one of the lowest attendance days of the year here at New Life. Because Father's, I'm one so I can say this. We think we're so special we need to be able to do whatever we want on Father's Day and church doesn't matter. Listen, the best thing you could do today is bring your family to church and show your family that Jesus matters more than a golf course. Jesus matters more than a fishing trip. Jesus matters more than brunch. And that's a stretch for me. All right? Jesus matters most. If you don't model that for your children, they're not going to know it. And when they get to the point where they start questioning things, you know what? They're not going to believe it when you try to start telling them things about how important Jesus is to your life. <laughs> hey, hey pops, I haven't seen it all these 15 years and now you want to spring this on me? No, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. something called the Goldman Dilemma. For those of you who are involved with athletics, you might have heard this before. It's the Goldman Dilemma. Goldman Dilemma is a survey that was taken by a man whose last name is Goldman. And he started asking in the, in the late 80s, uh, he started asking a question of professional athletes, and then it went into Olympic athletes. And the question was this, the steroid uh, steroid business was really starting to take off. And he asked them this question, if you could take a steroid, um, a PED now as, as we call them, if you could take a, a magic pill that would guarantee you to win a gold medal in every event that you entered for five years. But at the end of those five years, you died. Not, you know, you, you lost your shoes or or you couldn't compete anymore. After that five-year period, you died. Would you do it? 52% of those athletes said yes. In the Seoul Olympics in 1988, the survey was taken among all the Olympic athletes from every country that was there. And the question was asked of them, if you could take steroids that would guarantee you a gold medal right now, what would take 10 years off of your life, would you do it? 90% of all those athletes said yes. It's funny, when you get out of the athletics, when that question of the five-year period and die at the end was presented to normal, to normal people, to regular non, non-Olympic and non-professional athletes, 2% said yes, so there's sanity somewhere. But that, that brings me to this. If you're going to build integrity, not only do you have to care about your ethics, there must be some lines that you will never cross in your life. There's got to be some lines in your life that you will never cross. So we would all like to have um, great health and great wealth and, and all these things that we look at as important in our lives. But what cost would you go to to compromise your integrity and your credibility to get what it is that you want. If you're going to build integrity in your life, not only must you care about your ethics, but there must be some lines that you will never cross in your life. Let's bring it here to our church, and I talk with the deacons in our meetings about things like this as well when the the need arises. When it comes to our church being successful when it comes to us building a ministry that matters, yes, I want to reach as many people as possible. I want to have as great an impact on our church as possible. I, it, I cannot fathom that this church in such a short time uh, over the last three, three and a half years has, has gone from uh, a church that has less than 40 people to a church that now has over 200 people that call, their, call this their home. I would love to see us do much, much more. but there's got to be some lines as a church that we will never cross. It's called having ethics, having integrity, having character, and things that you will never do because the ends don't justify the means. And we've got to understand that. Proverbs 28, verse 6 says, Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich who distorts what's right and wrong. Man, we can we can dodge all we want. We can dip and dive like a politician. Remember, those of you who are old enough to remember the nineties, we had that great debate in the news and in the political arena. What is the definition of the word is? Seriously. That's that's what your integrity boiled down to? The definition of a word is. I say we can we can do that all we want, and we can we can splice things and mince words and we can jump around and But all you're doing is watering down your character and your credibility and your integrity. And as a church, we can can do whatever we want to do. We can uh, can make changes and we can kind of overlook certain things and water down our belief system. And I'm sure we'd we'd be flooded with even more people. But is that the right thing to do? Is that how we represent Jesus? And is that what Jesus did do? Yep. <laughs> see, what we're wanting to do and what we need to do is build integrity. Build character. And live in such a way that we're not shoving it in people's faces, but we're living in such a way that they see us as being real people. People who, st- who truly stand for what they believe and live what they believe every moment of every day the best they can. We're not going to be perfect. My goodness, we'll never be perfect. But we can be the best we can be. We can own the mistakes we make. We can take responsibility for our lives. The third thing I see that would build integrity in our lives is this. We must put truth at our core put truth at your core. Thomas Fuller said if I speak what is false I must answer for it. If truth it will answer for me. Proverbs 12:22 says lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Ephesians 6:14 stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Let truth be your protection against the lies of Satan. Let truth be your protection. My father taught me and my mother reinforced it. The truth is what matters. And you may get in trouble. How many many of you were raised like this? You might get in trouble for telling the truth. But it's going to be much, much worse if you lie. I can give you an amen to that. Right? Because it was much, much worse the one time. As a Christian, listen, you can give yourself a false sense of security. You can take yourself down a road of lies and half-truths that leaves you empty and leaves you away from Christ. But all that is is a lie that leaves you empty and leaves you away from Christ. The truth may not be the most comfortable. The, The truth may not be what makes you the happiest But the truth sure will, as Jesus said, set you free. Some of you right now in your life, the reason you are not moving forward as a Christian, the reason you're struggling in your faith, the reason you're struggling with life, the reason you struggle with others, the reason you struggle with accepting other people, the reason you struggle with getting past situations in your life is because you're not being honest and truthful about your life. You're not being honest and truthful about what happened to you. Some of you, and listen, I don't blame you for this. I don't blame, I, I do not blame, I, I, was, um, I was talking to a social worker this week at the gym and he told me that a city official, I talked to Melvin about this, from our town, I, I'll tell you about it later, um, said to him, he has to meet with her once a month about the foster kids in our town here in East Long Meadow that go to the schools and she said to him, why don't you take them out of the East Longmeadow School System? See, so that's a dear thing to me because my, boy, my two youngest boys started off in the foster care system, and they needed people to believe in them, and they needed all the help they could get. And he said, well, well what am I supposed to do with them? No lie, Melvin. You know what she told him? Exactly. Put them in Springfield. Seriously? Seriously? How about this? How about you love on these kids? And, and how about this? How about you stop blaming the children for the, the, the problems of their parents and the issues that their parents put into their lives? Some of you, you're taking on the responsibility, and you're taking on the ownership of what was done to you in your life. And you think that something must have been wrong with you for somebody to treat you that way. It breaks my heart, man, because there's gonna come a day where I have to sit down. I have to sit down with Michael and Gabriel and explain to them why they were left alone for 15 hours a day in a crib when they were nine months old. I gotta explain to Gabriel and Michael why, when they were two years old, somebody tried to twist their ear off, literally. I've got to explain to them why they were passed around from person to person to person as if they were a a lunch. I've got to explain to them why somebody started to adopt them, but returned them like they were a pair of shoes that didn't fit. But the greatest thing I need to let my boys know is that none of that was their fault. They're not the reason that other people did the wrong thing. And you need to understand That it's not your fault that somebody treated you the way they treated you. But you have to accept the fact that that is the truth about your life. That you were treated that way. That that happened to you. That people spoke to you that way. That people did those things to you. Because until you accept that truth in your life, you'll never get past it. You'll always try to cover it over with something else. You'll try to fill that with something else in your life, and you'll be dysfunctional your entire life until you accept the truth of the fact that it's not your fault, but it is your story, and you've got to live that way in getting through it. And you've got to accept this, Christian, that Jesus knows your truth. He knows the truth of your life. He knows what you went through. He doesn't hold it against you. He died to forgive the sins of the person that did it to you. And he loves you and he wants to heal you from your hurt and your pain. And he wants to use that as motivation in your life to live strong, to live true, and to reach out and help others. Some of you fathers, let's talk Father's Day a little bit. Some of you fathers... You're lost as a goose when it comes to being a father and a husband because your dad was never there for you. Father's Day is the one special day of the year that I find is the least celebrated of all the days. Because so many, young, so many men and women never had a good father in their life. Man, I'll tell you what, I think there's some of you women here that need to be celebrated on Father's Day. Amen. Because you step in and you fill the gap as a, that, that a father should. And hats off to you. Some of you men, you need to expect accept that fact. That your dad wasn't a good dad. Some of us are blessed. I love Mike walked in here proudly today with his father. Yuri, right? Love that. Love that. I love a man. I love my dad. Love my dad. Love you, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bonus. But my heart breaks for men that can't say that. My heart breaks for men who the truth of their life is their dad, let's just be honest, their dad sucked. I'm sorry if that, that language offends you in church. but That speaks about where I feel on the matter. But you've got to accept that truth and realize that and deal with it and understand that Jesus can help you to deal with that truth in your life and heal you and you can be better. You can be healed and you can live successfully and fruitfully. Jesus said it best. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lastly, one of the greatest lessons I learned from my dad, didn't always follow it, but I learned it. Always, always, always do the right thing. It's so easy, it's so simple, isn't it? It's too simple. It's It's too simple. But man, you will never go wrong by doing what is right. And I would rather answer for somebody not liking my right action than answer for making a huge mess by doing things the wrong way. Always, always, always do the right thing Douglas Adams said, wisdom is knowing the right path to take. Integrity is taking it. How do you build integrity in your life? How do you bring, uh, build a character in your life? By doing what's right. By always doing what's right. How do you teach your children right from wrong? By doing what's right. And correcting them when they do what's wrong. And by the way, parents, how else do you teach your kids integrity and character? By owning it when you do what's wrong. Two eight-year-old boys, and I apologize to them when I screw up. I want my boys to know there's no shame, and a real man takes responsibility for his actions. Including when I do something to them or, or say something sharply to them when it's my fault. I don't even blame my dogs. I take responsibility. I thought that would be funny and kind of If, if you know if you know Teddy you'll understand but it's see it loses it when you have to explain it 2nd Corinthians 8 21 indeed we are giving careful thought to do what is right not only before the Lord but also before people give careful thought to do what is right weigh your actions in the balance. Weigh your words in the balance. Is this right? Is what a, is it, it's easier to do what's wrong, but what is right is the thing to do. How do you build integrity? By doing what's right. Listen, what did Jesus do? He lived and modeled integrity and character in his ministry. Folks, if we want to have an impact on our, our little world and we need to live with integrity in all that we do. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for what this day represents, Lord. Celebrating fathers. Lord, I thank you for the dad I have. For all he taught me. Lord, I thank you for the the fathers that are represented here by families, by individuals, by children. Lord, I pray for those whose dad's not around now. They've lost him and God, today is a day of memories. And I pray for those, Lord, who hurt on a day like this because they didn't have a father they could celebrate. God, would you give peace and would you give comfort to those hearts? Lord, we have a challenge before us to reach a world with the love of Jesus Christ, the love that you expressed by sending him down here to die for our sins. God, would you help us to understand the the, the amazing importance that integrity plays in sharing the message that you have for us to share. May we take it seriously. May we work hard. And may we as a church do the right thing so that we present the right message to this world. Bless us as we go from this place, God. May we honor you. May our lives be glorifying to you. May we go forward as messengers. May we go forward as worshipers. May we go forward as people who are willing to walk through every open door to take every opportunity to reach people for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.